Welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Tony Flynn. And I'm Kevin Decker. Welcome to the Self-Congratulatory Season 10. Today's episode, Episode 11, You Go to War with the Pants You Have. I know I say war strangely. Well, but you said war in a way to emphasize how we should be wary of war. That's right. And we remember, of course, that it was former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, the first of the troublesome Donalds, who was dismissing service members' concerns about being inadequately supplied. Like, I don't care. I'm only the Secretary of Defense. Don't bother me with it. What I really want to do, Tony, is analyze that original statement that our title is an improvement of. You go to war with the army you have, not the one that you wish or want A tremendous profundity there, right? I mean, comparing it to something like you drive to work in a Camry, not a Porsche. I would love to drive to work in a Porsche, but it's a fact that I don't have one. It's almost like just a statement of nothing, like a tautology. It's up there with it is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. That's why our title is an improvement, because it actually has some content. It says, whatever pants you wear into the recruiting station, I hope you pick the right ones. Because they're what you've got for the duration. That's it for you. And if you get some time off, for example, those are going to be the pants that you have to go to the USO with, if that still exists. Yeah, you have to stand there uncomfortably in your boxers when you go to the coin-operated laundry on base. That's true as well. So it's really important to be very careful about the underwear that you're taking with you off to war. Yeah, you can't go commando. I had a friend who actually, in graduate school, would never wear underpants. It was very troubling that he wanted to point this out to all of us. It's troubling that our listeners are having to hear it. (laughs) The other way to think in terms of pants and our right, apparently in this country, to not wear pants. Mm. I understand that there's quite a ruckus being raised about pants mandate. Yeah, pants mandate. Some uh, good citizens, and I use that term very loosely, reject all mandates. So they do not wear helmets on their motorcycles. Obviously, they don't Mm -hmm. buckle up. They throw caution to the wind when it comes to smoking a pack of unfiltered Pall Malls every hour. That's what I would expect to see from those folks if they were consistent. And now they reject the pants mandate, which is understood as, as something they're compelled to do by right. the nanny state. Right. They have these fixations about nannies. Yeah. Like, and that disturbs me, too, that they're it, thinking about it is. their nannies. And also, ironically, by behaving in the irresponsible way that they do, they're proving that they still need one. <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. Yeah, there's a terrible irony. The more you protest, the more the nanny is going to have to take you upstairs that's for right. a good birching. Yeah. In the South, where my, my wife comes from, the old story is that you would be sent out to fetch a sw- which, uh, with which you would be beaten, which is a double indignity, you know, because you know you're going to be punished and you have to secure the means of it. It's like having to dig your own grave. Yeah. It's so unfair. It's, it really is unfair. But I think um, the no pants mandate folks should go out and get their own switch they in should. the woods. That's right. And since they don't have pants on, it's going to be so much the worse. Very for uncomfortable. Yep. But you brought it on yourselves, folks. It may be time, though, for us to bring some special comic segments 
on our listeners. Yes, we should. First, another uh, entry by you, Tony, in the saga of Emily Wellingtonford. And if I remember correctly, this is the Edmonton Chanteuse, part one. Okay, we say chanteuse. Chanteuse. Okay. Chanteuse part one. Yeah. That's right. Emily Wellingtonford, back from exotic Edmonton, mourns the loss of the Babylonic thrills of city life and wants to bring some of that back to Karnak. And we'll see if she's successful and see if anything happens to her lover slash captive, Archie Christensen. I I hope that he uh, does either escape or have something good happen because, of course, I play him. And to get into character, I've been chained to a bed frame for the last two weeks. Well... (laughs) You'll recall that it didn't turn out quite so well for you and Archie. No, it For did your not. other side. That's right. But next, we have another visit with Roger Basement and What's New With You. He talks to a, an unfrocked, not a defrocked, yeah. priest named Father Blemish, who's decided to review the work of his colleagues in other local churches. He's severe. He's like an ecumenical yelper. I really like this concept and the piece itself, and I think it's really great because, uh, you know, Marx famously said, we must submit everything to the fiercest criticism, and yet reviewing the pulpit doesn't really happen, but Father Blemish is going to change that. And he lives up to his name, too, which we enjoy. After that, we have a return to everybody's favorite right-wing discussion program, Pox and Phlegm. And we have a very special guest on Pox and Phlegm, don't we, this time? Well, two, but... uh, Yeah, well, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's sitting in, I think, for uh, Bobby Van Illa. Right, because he's got the hoax virus and he's in the the hospital intubated. That's right. Uh, Who knows where he really is on a golf course since it's just a hoax virus. Yeah, So, but he's hospitalized on a golf course. And so we'll look forward to talking with or listening to former Vice President... Sounds so good to say that. Former Vice President Mike Pence, who's going to explain why it is that he kind of stepped out of line by not allowing people to hang him on January 6th. Yeah, he's pretty remorseful that he wasn't taken out and hung by the insurrectionists on January 6th. And I hope, listeners, that you accept his apology because he feels pretty bad. And now it's time for Emily Wellingtonford, Canadian mine owner and usurer. Tonight's episode, The Edmonton Chanteuse, Part 1. The place, 2 p.m., where Emily Wellingtonford, Canadian mine owner and usurer, a youngish widow pining for the husband she never knew, rules the bustling mining town of Coronach, Saskatchewan, with a smooth, silky fist. The occasion for the place and the time is that Emily Wellingtonford has just returned from exotic Edmonton, where she had enjoyed a lushly hormonal romp with an upright young Mountie named Constable Coors. Now, faced with nothing more than collecting debts, crushing unrest among the miners, and frolicking with Archie Christensen, he of the splendid thighs, who remains chained to her bed for convenience's sake, She finds herself bored and lonely, longing for the exotic delights of Edmonton. Oh, Archie, I'm so bored and lonely. Of course, it grieves me to hear this, Mrs. Wellingtonford. 
but if indeed you no longer wish to impose your carnal energies upon me, perhaps you might unchain me from your bedpost and allow me to return to the mine shaft. The bullet wound where you shot me in my left thigh healed months ago, and I need to begin repaying what I owe you for food, lodging, and medical care. What? Are you planning to leave me? Then I would be even more bored and more lonely. I would only leave you if I actually could. You must know that by now, Mrs. Wellingtonford. Oh, Archie, your loyalty, however coerced, means the world to me. You cut such a fine figure in your miner's garb, setting a tremble the hearts of all Canadian womanhood, whether unmarried, married, single but looking, or recently widowed. It will be years before I'm ready to discard you. Then perhaps if I could once again don my fine figure miner's garb, or any clothes at all, actually, you might feel less bored, and then... Oh, certainly not. You look perfectly fetching as you are now, if perhaps a little pale. I suppose I really ought to have the bed moved out to the portico during the day to grant you some sunshine. What, Ford? Yes, Mrs. Wellington Ford? Move my bed out to the portico. Like an expensive houseplant, Archie needs sunlight and air. Yes, Mrs. Wellington Ford. Come on, Wetford, put your crooked little back into it. Yes, Mrs. Wellington Ford. If I may, Mrs. Wellington Ford, perhaps it would be more expedient if I simply walked to the portico. Hmm. And you won't try to escape? Only if I have an opportunity to do so. You have my solemn promise. Oh, very well. And bring a bedsheet. We don't want to be giving Mrs. Webford any ideas. No, indeed, Mrs. Wellingtonford, and thank you. While Archie shivered in the chilly November sun, Emily Wellingtonford returned to her brooding about the glamorousness of her life in Coronach. But then a thought struck her, like a trout dropped from a great height. If she could not attend the Babylonic thrills of exotic Edmonton in Edmonton, perhaps those thrills could be brought to Coronach. I have it! Whipford! Yes, Mrs. Wellingtonford? I want you to convert that dreary old bedroom in the northwest wing to a nightclub. Find builders, bring them from Saskatoon or North Battleford if need be, and call various booking agents in exotic Edmonton so that I might bring in singers and dancers and actors and gamblers. Oh, whomever can excite and delight me in this tiresome backwater I seem to call home. Yes, Mrs. Wellington Third. Meanwhile, true to his promise, Archie did not try to escape from the portico until he found the opportunity to do so, which he soon did. Shivering in the early afternoon November dusk, he tore his only garment, the bedsheet, into three lengths, tied the ends together, secured one end to the balustrade, and began lowering himself from the third floor. Running out of bedsheet twenty feet from the ground, Archie muttered a prayer and let himself drop into the rose bushes below. Ah! Ah! These rose thorns are not my friend today. I suppose the cost of freedom is always blood. Quite a bit in my case, it seems. Fortunately, 
I'll be able to hide my pain contorted body in the gathering darkness as I flee to a friendly miner's cottage. Ah, another unanticipated blessing. The rain will wash away my blood trail. That's all the time we have now for Emily Wellingtonford, Canadian mine owner and usurer. Tune in again next time when we'll hear Charlotte, the chair of the All-Canadian Womanhood Club, say... Well, gracious me, ladies, it's Archie Christensen himself. And with no minor garb at all. He'll need lots of attention. Let's start by warming him up. Hello again, Roger Basement here. Winner of last night's Scrabble match with my 10-year-old neighbor with yet another segment of What's New With You? Our guest this time around is Father Oswald Blemish, formerly of St. Cuthbert's, right here in Lower Heights. And Father, you've got some uh, churchy updates for our listeners? <laughs> yes, indeedy. <clears throat> Since the diocese, in its infallible beneficence, decided to move up my scheduled mandatory retirement date by roughly a decade, I suddenly had all this free time on my hands, you know? And not being a tremendous golfer and wanting to remain useful, I decided to put together a wee tract I'm calling The View from the Pew. Kind of an insider's take on local clerical performance. I like to think of it as kind of a ecclesiastical yelp for local believers. And what sort of demand is there for slandering local clergy? Lots of demand. Lots. You see, over the many years I've been in and around the pulpit, I have heard and seen some real doozies. And I thought there was a, you know, a niche for evaluating those of us who feel called, you know, like when we're asked to rate a carpet cleaner or a drywall outfit. Why not something similar for those messing around with everybody's afterlife? Well, I don't think of all clerics as uh, messing around with... Well, sure, but... There has to be some way folks can, you know, shop around with some confidence for a, uh, you know... A decent service provider. Uh, um, sanctuary rather than, um, reliquary? Yeah. Yeah, some way of separating the chaff from the really bad chaff. You know, the pits of burning sulfur. So, how exactly does one go about evaluating or rating clerical skill sets or whatever you call them? Yeah, well, see, here's the deal. I dress up like a normal churchgoer and just slink to the back row to soak it all in. The sermon, the ambience, you know, the general tone of the experience. The rest is easy. I just have a little checklist I fill out as we go along. You know, stuff like, did I feel threatened in any way? Yes or no? If yes, explain why. And then, well, let's see. Then I check the freshness of the sermon. Does it appear to be written after, say, 1925? You'd be surprised how many homilies are way past their poll date. The accusations of witchcraft are a dead giveaway. Oh, here's another one. Can whoever's in charge actually sing in tune? I mean, let's face it. Some clergy don't even know the words. And who needs a lip-syncing, off-key mumbler leading us out of temptation? But aren't they all just doing their best in these difficult times? <laughs> Not in my Yelp comments, they don't. But one of my most peevish pets are funerals. 
But, Father Blemish, funerals are not supposed to be fun. Well, it's not the actual comforting that gets me. It's how some of these guys with the survivors hanging on his every word shouldn't be Monday morning quarterbacking on the guy's life. I like a good positive funeral, lacking rancor or, or finger pointing. And come on, just get it over with. More singing, less chat. Couldn't agree more about the getting it over with, but is finger-pointing at funerals an actual problem? Mm, probably not so much. There was this one time, though. Anyway, then there's just some basics. Is the collection plate a reasonable size? Is it mostly clean? Little stuff like that. And, well, here's another one. The mumbling. Especially the Latin. You'd think every once in a while somebody in the congregation would pipe up with a, what does that mean? You have to know your audience. I'm pretty strict on that. Stop and listen. By the way, how do you say that in Latin? Ah, uh, well. See, that's my point. But the worst thing, oh, do you want to know the worst thing, Roger? Well, sort of. The worst thing is usually the other parishioners. Last Sunday at the end of mass, you know, when you're supposed to shake hands for the sign of peace? Well, the guy to my right had the sweatiest palms ever. A real hand soaker. And the guy to my left didn't shake my hand because he was holding a hip flask. Which he refused to share, by the way. So, after you've finished your, um, little checklist, how do you come up with a final, uh, actual review? Is the finished product online? In print? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you have to be careful. I mean, I really can't afford to be sued, especially now that I'm pretty much retired. <laughs> well, actually unfrocked. Uh, not defrocked. But I'm not bitter. So then how do you share these essential evaluations with the world? Well, so I like to go a couple different routes. After I post anonymously on Yelp, I go right to the top. Overnight express mail, straight off to the Vatican. I mean, why mess around? Wow, that's impressive. And do they, does he, ever get back to you? Not so much. But I figure I've done my bit. Now, it's up to them. And so, Father Blemish, you just pretty much wash your hands of it all at that point. As you said, when in Rome? Oh, I do a couple of local follow-ups, Roger. I won't deny that there have been a time or two when I might have slipped one or two of my printed clerical reviews into a couple dozen various hymnals now and again, just to see if I can drum up a little outrage. Kind of like opening an unexpected Christmas card. Kind of, well, as I often say about now, our guest this week has been Father Oswald Blemish from right here in Lower Heights, telling us all about his... Help me out here, Father. What do we call this this enterprise of yours? Oh, I don't know. Let's just call it what it is. The View from the Pew. Don't think it'll ever be a movie, do you? <laughs> no, no. No, I'm just kidding. I sure could use the money. Well, no, probably not. But it's vaguely interesting that you dropped by... Somehow, just knowing you're out there objecting to things makes me, yo, I don't know, just a little more anxious about church going. As you should be. Well, 
I gotta catch a couple of baptisms. And there he goes, folks. A guy with a loosened collar and a clipboard and his view from the pew. This is Roger Basement with What's New With You, painfully aware that no award is coming my way for this episode. Hello, Americans, and welcome to Pox News's Pox and Phlegm. I'm your anchor, Jeff White, and sitting in today for special White House correspondent Bobby Vanilla, hospitalized for some sort of hoax virus, is Representative and QAnon star Marjorie Taylor Greene. Also, our blonde, Blanche Whitney. Thanks, Jeff, for referring to me as essentially an afterthought, and for confusing me with Blanche. I'm Adele, Adele Weiss, Blanche's temporary replacement. She's also out with the hoax virus, but she did lend me her Lady Dragon taser. Adele, huh? Well, excuse me for not focusing on surface differences. And with Bobby not here, I figure I'm your new tasing target, so it's safer for me to just ignore you rather than risk commenting on how... On how what, Jeff? On how hot I look in this ridiculously tight crimson strapless dress, slit open at the thigh that our jackass old men bosses make me wear for this show? Ah, your words, not mine. But you shouldn't talk about our bosses that way. Damn you, Jeff. Be ignored or be leered at. Those are my choices. (laughs) Folks, I don't think Adele has turned on her mic yet. I can't hear a thing she seems to be saying. Women and technology, am I right? (laughs) Ah! See what I mean? They're a dangerous combination. Ah! Ah! Okay, okay. Sorry, Adele. Can I try your taser, Adele? I really like weapons. Sure thing, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ah! That's enough. Let's get back to the show, shall we? We have a very special guest with us today who's been sitting here in the studio unnoticed, just as he was over the last five years, former Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, thank you, Jeff, Adele. I'm happy to be here. What about me, Mike? Stop ignoring me. Pay attention to me, too. Well, in all fairness to the Vice President, Marjorie Taylor Greene, at the January 6th insurrection slash patriotic tourist rally, you and your supporters did say that Mr. Pence should be hanged. That's not very true at all. I only thought he should be hanged. Is that so wrong? Not at all. Not at all, Marjorie Taylor Greene. We're only free if our thoughts are free, and all our freedoms are at risk if we're not allowed to want to hang people who disagree with us. Elegantly put, Mr. Vice President. But, excuse me, there's a a fly in your hair, shall I? Let me tase it. It's probably an NSA bug listening in on this show. No, give me my taser back, Marjorie Taylor Greene. (laughs) There. And yes, it is a bug, because all insects are bugs. Also, this show is... But, 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 
Adele, how do you know it's not an NSA bug? Can't answer that, can you? Until I start believing otherwise, that's an NSA bug. Actually, I like to think of that fly as my most loyal constituent. He's stuck with me. Well, stuck to you, to be precise. Well, very well then, stuck to me, but my point is the same. That fly is loyal, and I prize loyalty above all other things. Well, well, if loyalty is so important to you, Mike, then why didn't you agree to be hanged? Marjorie Taylor Greene, why not just let Jeff and me ask the questions from now on? Perhaps you could just sit there and fume for a while? No, no, that's all right, Adele. Marjorie Taylor Greene is asking a legitimate question. She is? What? Well, yes, perhaps. You'll recall that the president did demand that I subvert the Constitution on January 6th, and I failed to do so. Is that a hanging offense? Some might think so. Perhaps we should keep an open mind on the matter. What did the president say to you in his phone call on January 6th? Surely he felt that you had betrayed him by not trying to subvert the Constitution. In a good cause. Subverting the Constitution in a good cause. That's quite enough, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Back to my question, Mr. Pence. When you spoke to the president on the phone that day, what did he have to say about your disloyal betrayal of your sacred oath to obey him? Did he think you should be hanged, too? Well, uh, of course, I can't reveal the precise contents of that phone call, but I can say that he was open to the idea. In fairness to the president, he was suffering from wild mood swings that day. On the one hand, he was elated at the insurrection-slash-patriotic tourist rally, while on the other, he was furious that I hadn't been hanged yet. Well, let's not get all hysterical, Mr. Pence. Tempers were high that day. I hardly think I'm getting hysterical, Adele. In fact, I... Let's just calm down, Mr. Pence, and not dwell on the past. Instead, let's focus on the future. Do you have presidential plans of your own? I, uh, well, I'm not entirely sure yet. I suppose I'd need to get the president's permission. Loyalty, you know. You'd need to get Biden's? Oh, heavens no. And excuse my salty language. No, no, I'd need to make a pilgrimage to Mar-a-Lago, kneel before him, and, uh... Ha! You wouldn't get within a hundred miles of Mar-a-Lago. He's as torqued off as ever. What if he still wanted those capital tourists to hang you? Well, of course, I'd be open to discussing that matter with him if it would help heal the wound of my betrayal. Let's go there now, Mike. I'll drive you. Well, that's all the time we have now for Pox and Phlegm. Tune in again next time when we'll hear Marjorie Taylor Greene say, as our security team ushers her to the exit, You know... Hangings used to be public. I miss that. But that's just not politically correct. 
Okay, it's time to thank our cast, Kevin. Why don't I do that? All right. Uh, I'd like to thank non-alphabetically Maureen Hager, Tony Flynn, Steve Lloyd, Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, Ann Porter, and Kevin Decker. That's still me. I'd also like to thank our writers for today, Tony Flynn and Scott Herrick. Thank you, Tony. Scott's not here. Uh, So no thanks to you, Scott. No thanks to you, Scott. I'd also like to thank The Bad Plus for our theme song. And we'd also like to thank the many who um, are getting weary of our gratitude. Carrie Boyce, Vern Windham, Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, and the only man who carves tiny statues of his co-workers in a block of cheese, Brian Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs>